All right, what you got up here? Why are iPhones evil? Thank you. That sounds like a clay question, right? Mine's underneath. Oh, you, you did. Is my iPhone the mark of the beast? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. All right. Well, I don't know. We'll see, right? I didn't read that anywhere. Maybe it's in there. I, we got to go explore Revelation to find that one out, but I'm pretty pretty sure we, we are not going to get into that too much. But, but anything else? What else you guys got? Learn the dangers of social media. Okay. Yeah, so what are, what are some of those social media dangers that you guys have encountered in your life, things that maybe pose a particular temptation for you? Chris? Well, I remember years ago here in this same room, a different Nate Williams uh, actually did a, a little topic on it. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, which I've found myself constantly having to guard myself around, is everybody posts, myself included, the highlights of their life, like all the best stuff. Uh, yeah. And so it's like we tend to look at, especially when we're down about, one thing or another, you know, it's like we look at social media and we're just seeing everybody else's highlights and we fall into the absolute lie that is everybody's life is so much better than mine. Yeah. And that's something I have to fight every time I open a Facebook. I mean, oh, but, yeah. but yeah, it's nice to be aware of it. You know, he, he, I don't even remember what all he said, but he brought that point up so clearly that it really stuck with me over the last however many years. Yeah, so. we, we have to battle. I, we have to battle when we're on Facebook that, that sense of discontentment yeah. and becoming disgruntled with the good things God's given us just because our, our life doesn't compare to the other person's highlight reel. You know? right. It's a strange, strange world we're in, but that is a true temptation I mean, to us. A good us. example from, from my life is you know, I might post about the great overnight I just had in the Caribbean, but I'm not going to post about the extremely horrible hotel stay I had two nights earlier with the loud music kept me up all night. You right. know? And that's, that's kind of how it is in our lives. We don't post the bad stuff. But right. we all have that, you know. Yeah, it is. That's definitely that's definitely a good example. We'll talk more about that as we go along here. Um, practical ideas for guiding teens. Oh, I'm glad you raised that. That's definitely coming. Okay, next that'll be the fourth session. We're going to talk about your family and parenting with teens and parenting with tech, um, uh, tech challenges in the home. So that is definitely coming. It's on the docket. So I'll promise you that's coming. Is it necessary? Can we live well without it? Well, I hope so. We've made it this far <laughs> to this point. So, but yeah, we'll we'll definitely look at uh, maybe maybe you're thinking it's maybe encroaching into your life too much. Maybe you want to practice some uh, self restraint. Learn um, some ways that you can practice that in pleasing the Lord. Um, these are great. Can I throw up another question and let you test? Uh, let you feedback on that one. Um, let's see. Actually, I think it's right here. All right. See my mouse up there? So here's the question I really want you to answer for me. What are some ways, what are some ways technology has benefited your Christian walk? Some ways that maybe you say, I'm so thankful to live in the 21st century where I have access to some things on your maybe cell phone. I know I was just going to throw out for me, it's um, I love having the ability to listen to my my pastor's sermons again and again over the, throughout the week. I mean, just being able to listen to them again and ring those sermons out for more truth just by listening to the podcasts and things like that. That's something that, you know, 15 years ago wasn't as easily attainable, accessible. So what a what an awesome privilege that is. How about, what else? Being an audio-visual guy, for me, if I'm listening to the Bible while I read it, I'm going to retain it way more than one or the other. So Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's helpful, yeah. Helps most, some, a lot of us. Audiobooks, yeah. Being able to kind of consume more content, even though you're busy, 
You don't have time to sit down and read a lot of Christian literature. This is giving you opportunities to get access to that. Joyce. Um, on Instagram, Twitter, and email, I, I deliberately follow people, well, not the email, but I follow people that are in Christian ministry, and I try not to do anything else. And so I am getting nuggets. It's a short nugget, but it's a nugget throughout the day. Right. And then that can be a bit of an encouragement, can it? You can get Christian emails the same way. And th- that's just something that I didn't have when I was some of y'all's age. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Wonderful. Mark, I just realized my microphone's been off this whole time, so you didn't get any of anything I've said till now. All right. So how about this? Um, let's see. Social media companies are monetizing their content. Mm. If they're censoring or antagonistic to Christianity, should we even be on it? Good question. So where uh, platforms and our participation on those platforms, what is that What is that doing? Do we have conscience problems with that? I mean, um, that might be, that's a question I hadn't really thought deeply upon, but that's, a, that's definitely one for the, for the future. We'll, we'll, we'll tag that one and follow up on that. Listen to sermons, watch conferences. All right. Jamie. Note-taking is always... Yeah. You ever see me in church? I'm not looking. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. No, we believe you. I, <laughs> I just got to check that sports score one time. Okay, I'm back. No, that could be a temptation too. But no, it's it's nice to have those things at the ready. Um, totally, I, I get that. Well, I appreciate your feedback on this because of time. I'm just gonna. The third question um, was similar to this one in that uh, I was just asking you what your what you were hoping to benefit from in the class. This is just helpful as we kind of set course together. Give me just a moment, I'll put it. This is our kind of our study plan for the next couple weeks, Lord willing. Again, this is all contingent on the Lord's grace and covering some material that we want to get to. Um, I will have handouts for you next week. I didn't have any tonight because I wasn't sure how many to, to make, so I'm kind of gauging this tonight from your attendance, that you'll be back, I hope. I'll make some for you next week. So this week we're going to talk about a life lived on shifting sand and talking about what uh, exposing what our hearts actually crave. Um, so we'll talk about how technology actually, uh, in, in our use of specifically the mobile phone, can actually be a, a way of evaluating where, you, where, your, where, your heart is, where your heart is chasing things, it's following things, it's liking things, it's, it's showing you the... the uh, the trajectory of your heart, where you're, where you're, um, what are your appetites, what are you feeding your mind, and those types of things. And those things are important to pay attention to as a Christian, so you can begin practicing biblical discernment, and that will be useful for you in, in sanctification. So we'll talk about that, a life lived on shifting sand. Next week we'll talk about staring into the black mirror, um, examining what your lives become when you have unrestrained usage of technology, technology and devices. What, happen, what can happen to a life completely consumed uh, without restraint and without um, being careful in this regard. Number three, we'll talk about deceptive desires, exploring what our hearts seek. Uh, then we'll talk about soul and cyberspace, which is explain what our being requires. Yeah, I, um, and I don't want to give it all away, but we'll talk about what, it, what it's like to live in two universes at the same time. You're living in, a, in God's created universe where he rules and reigns, and there's a set of principles and rules and his governance is in this realm and uh, we choose to live a majority or 
in some cases, the majority of our lives in an alternate realm, an alternate uh, dimension, as it were, in a, room, in a world that we can create, a world that we can kind of structure and manipulate, and we can kind of be as if God doesn't exist in those realms sometimes. Um, we, re- we retreat into that online world and behave in ways that are not uh, becoming of Christians. And so we'll look at that in the Soul and Cyberspace week. Week five, think different. How do we change our minds? How, how do we renew our minds using scriptural principles so that we begin to think thoughts that are appropriate and that are God-honoring, exchanging what our mind consumes? Um, and then the last week is that smartphone smart. That's when we're going to talk about families and the tech challenges that families are facing. No doubt, if your family is like mine, this is a daily struggle. And so um, we'll, be, we'll be very try to be helpful to you in that. Um, can I begin this evening with a word of prayer before we get into the study? And um, I appreciate your being here. I hope and trust that God will bless our time together as we look at these texts together. Father, I thank you so much for assembling us together tonight by your grace and giving us a, a church home that's um, uh, interested in mining out practical things for our families, uh, trying to strengthen and uh, um, undergird the families as we mount the, um, a defense against digital dangers that we, we understand that are encroaching into our home, into our own lives. Sometimes we invite them in without any, without any contest. We, just, uh, we are under, oftentimes overwhelmed and under-equipped. And I pray that tonight, Lord, you will guide our discussion, guide our time together. We will ask for clarity. Um, I, I know that the temptation is to say things that might be hurtful, uh, Lord, I pray that we would have an understanding spirit here and a, and a spirit of grace, knowing that what, I, what, what will be said will be done in a spirit of love with an intent to help and only help, not to harm or hurt or wound, um, uh, but to create a, a home that's conducive to, to growth, spiritual growth, and one that follows you in likeness. Lord, I pray that you'll help us tonight as we do that together. We'll give you all the praise and glory, for it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. All right, I want to begin with a, uh, a video from Tim Challies. He's probably one of, the, one of the few. In fact, if you try to do a... Um, oh, I know what I going to do before I do Tim Challies. I was going to just show you. If you try to do research on this subject, you're going to be pretty much staggered by how little there is out there written on this subject. So we're kind of forging new ground here a little bit. So I'm not coming to you professing to be the be-all, know-all expert. I'm not going to tell you that I have conquered the, the temptation of the digital dangers, okay? I struggle every single day. Um, I watch the Screen Time app on my phone, and I get, I'm appalled at how much time I've spent connected to the Internet. I mean, just, so I am wrestling with these issues in my own life. I've talked with many of you. You both share the same struggle. So when I'm sharing these with you, I'm coming to you um, in the same, I'm under the word, just like you are, looking for uh, God to give me grace and strength and the victory uh, over these things. So, But I wanted to share you, with you that there are a few things that I, I can kind of share with you that I, I've read that have been helpful, at least marginally. <laughs> and I think I, that I would, without giving you a 100% unqualified recommendation of these books, I'm going to go ahead and let you see them and then encourage you to read them discerningly with your Bibles open, Okay. And um, encourage you to discuss them with your with your Bible, with your your fellowship group leaders and other fellow Christians. Um, this is a book that I found interesting, very helpful. It's called Twelve Ways Your Phone Is Changing You." 
by Tony Reinke. Uh, very interesting read. Um, he talks about uh, being addicted to distraction, what the technology is doing to our attention spans and our ability to be reflective and our ability to meditate on the word and sustain deep and prolonged thought on God and his word. Um, pretty helpful. I mean, it shows how that's a very easy trap to fall into. I'm just going to give you a few of these. He, he says, um, uh, we, we lose our literacy. He talks about that. Now, that's more in regards to the fact that we're no longer reading these wonderful theologians and people who have contributed to church life in the past and have uh, been helpful in shepherding God's people. We're no longer consuming their content. We're consuming the, the, the hot and the latest and the newest, and we, and we are missing out. So uh, some other things. that I thought the book was overall very helpful. Tony Reinke is, um, is a helpful writer, gifted writer. I would, I would caution you in some areas. He's not exactly where we are on the, uh, when it comes to, like, um, he's a little bit more of a wokey type guy in some cases. So read discerningly there. If you don't know what I mean by that, then maybe that's good. Maybe you can ask somebody who can help you with that. <laughs> Okay, so it's not going to come out pronounced much in the book, but it will come up in places. So if you read it, read discerningly and just be careful. I'm gonna, he also wrote this book called Competing Spectacles, which is, uh, he, did, he did this one on, on the mobile phone. He did this one, Competing Spectacles is all about media's influence in your thinking, how media influences your thinking, how, can, how um, Christians... A need to be have a heightened uh, uh, and elevated uh, discernment about what they consume through any media venue, radio, TV, mobile phone, social media, whatever it might be. And he talks about how it's difficult to treasure Christ in the media age, but it's a helpful book on that. So I encourage you to read that. Again, that's another Reinke book. Um, some other things. Can I go so far as even to recommend to you a book that's not a Christian author? Still helpful nonetheless. Now, he's not going to be approaching it from a biblical standpoint with chapter, book, chapter, and verse, but he's going to be um, kind of reinforcing some biblical principles, and, and it's been a book that's been around for a long time. You may have already read this book, Amusing Yourselves to Death. Anybody read this book? Okay, I, had, I, I knew Mark had read it. Okay, you can download it free online. Free online? Great. I wish I would have known that. I wasted, <laughs> I wasted money. It's on Audible, too. Well, anyway... The helpful thing about this book is he talks about how communication medium is important to consider when you're thinking about how you're going to re- how you're going to deal with truth. He talks about how the digital generation. He wrote this book in 1985. He says even the way TV was being set up and structured, it's it's being more and more difficult to have real deep conversations. It's hard to have thought and hard to hard to hard to. Um, really think well about things because of the changing medium of communication. We now have what? How many how many bits do we have? Or how many characters do we have available to us to to do anything on Twitter? I mean, it has to be extremely truncated, short, punctuated, um, you know, ways of speaking, and it's not conducive to getting really engaged and good and thinking carefully about things. So the medium is not supporting the the, the, medicine, the message anymore. And he talks about how uh, amusing ourselves to death is a dangerous place to be as a culture. And he thinks, and it's a really interesting expose of that. Then there's this book called The TechWise Family, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place. I love this. I like this book in some ways, and I hate this book in others. But I recommend it to you to read for your own benefit. I'll tell you why I, I like it. I think it's helpful to have something practical 
if you're looking for ways to structure your home for change, if you're looking for ways to kind of help your family get moving in the right directions, there's some pretty helpful practical things here. One reason I, that's the reason I like it. The reason I don't like it is because it can lead to a behaviorist type of way of approach where all you're doing is setting up environments and uh, making rules and then expecting your children to succeed by just setting up a bunch of rules and then they just click through those motions without having their heart changed. So I think that can be a real temptation if you just think that changing the environment of your home, pulling plugs and deleting apps is going to fix your kids. It's not. It's just not. Um, you got to get at the heart. So um, that's why I like this book and why I don't like it. So I recommend it to you to read discerningly. If you want to have a chance to leaf through it, you're welcome to afterwards. All right, now Tim Challies. Let's talk to him. Or not talk to him. We'll talk, let him talk to us about that um, in this video. I think if you go back and look at the long history of the Christian faith in this world, you'll see that Christians have always been very adept at taking hold of new technologies and using them for the good of others and the glory of God. So go all the way back to the early church. There's great new technology, and it was uh, in some ways a communications technology, and it was the Roman roads, this road system that spread all through the world. It had been invented for a very different purpose, to carry trade, to carry soldiers from place to place. The Christians saw it as an opportunity to take missionaries from place to place, to communicate the gospel across these roads. Then go into the 1400s and you have the printing press and what happens is Christians take hold of the printing press and really through the printing press this new communications medium they usher in this reformation that forever changed the world introduced far more people than ever before to sound biblical doctrine and so all through history Christians have found ways to use new communication new media in order to carry out the Great Commission and that's exactly what we're seeing with the internet Uh, When the internet came along, Christians were very quick on the scene to say, how can we use this to serve the Lord? How can we use this to carry out our mission? And I see blogs as one way that Christians can do that. We can use this relatively new medium to teach, to encourage, to equip other people. And we've seen all through the Christian world people coming around, bloggers coming around, blogs themed around different ideas, uh, finding affinity with one another, sharing truth, sharing books, sharing ideas, and I think it's been a tremendous blessing in that way. Yet one of the things we find whenever we study any technology is that every technology comes with benefits and it comes with drawbacks. And so we tend to see the benefits right away and we jump on those and we start to to use that medium uh, because of those benefits we see. But over time we learn that there's also drawbacks. There's also some negatives that come with the positives. And one of the negatives we've, we've come to learn happens through blogs and through other forms of social media is that we can be very quick to speak and very slow to listen, or we can um, really focus on depersonalized communication. So it's very easy to put thoughts out there and speak of others, and yet in a very detached way, so I don't have to look anybody in the eye, I don't have to see their face, I don't have to read their physical reactions as I, as I speak to them. So one of the fears of life in this online world and communicating through blogs and other social media is that we'll lose the the interpersonal part of communication that's so important and so it's very easy to criticize somebody when that's just an abstract entity out there in this this kind of fake world called cyberspace Um, often communication is much better when it's face to face and we can focus on one another we can communicate back and forth. For, for all the good that's come through the internet and through blogs, and there's been a tremendous amount of it, 
and do think we have to be very, very cautious about how we use it as well, to do our utmost to ensure we're, we're emphasizing the great benefits that come, but we're also doing our, our best to mitigate the risk and the inevitable drawbacks that come as well. I think there's a good future for blogs, for the just this idea that anybody can have a voice, can speak to others, can, can write something that's of interest to them and draw other people around those ideas, yet we've got to ensure that we're doing this in a distinctly Christian way, that we're emphasizing godly character, love for others, all to the glory of God. Right. Some some may have noted that just some, some things about his uh, his long video there. I just kind of noticed that uh, there's this there's this both this note of celebration of the opportunity that we have to to redeem technology and the platforms that are afforded to us and to use those as opportunities to proclaim further proclaim the gospel of Christ and the and the and help fellow Christians and use those technologies to the advantage and benefit to of the gospel and the mission of the church. There's that celebration note, and then there's also this note of caution along with that. You may have caught that as well, that while that's happening, we also want to be cautiously careful about um, uh, the the potential for danger danger and risk, altering the message or uh, perhaps uh, miscommunication or using it in a way that wouldn't be becoming of Christ. So that's kind of the approach you're going to have the whole time you're here. You're going to be thinking of this as, man, technology is great, but I've got to be careful. And uh, that's going to be the, the restless feeling in your heart the whole time uh, as we navigate these subjects. That, um, just as we, we get that um, underway, well, I'll just make, make that quick caveat there. Could you take out your Bibles with me? Let's go to the book of Genesis in chapter 1. Genesis in chapter 1. That's a good place to start, right? Begin in the beginning, like with everything. When we're going to talk about making a practical theology of, of technology, we ought to begin in the beginning. Does it surprise you that the Bible might have something to say about technology, even though it was written thousands of years before technology existed? It shouldn't, because uh, that's how amazingly adequate, sufficient, and powerful the Word of God is. It speaks ahead of its time, and it, it doesn't leave us without clarity. It doesn't leave us without all, everything we need for life and godliness. And so uh, we're, we are going to take our cue from the word of God. From Genesis chapter 1, and you know that's the account and the record of the creation and the beginning of all things, uh, I think it's fascinating for us to begin here. It's important for not just fascinating, it's important that we begin here. Because um, from here we begin in verse 26 with the creation of man. We'll read a couple verses here together, Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 31. I want to lay down kind of a major formative pillar in our understanding of technology, and that is the idea of what this, this creation mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve and to their descendants and their responsibility to steward the creation of God. Verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created, he created them. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and, and rule over the fish of the sea. And there it is again. He's repeating that word, rule, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed it shall be food for you 
and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So you can see quickly from the beginning here how God's creation of man came with giving man a stewardship and a responsibility there. In these verses, it's specifically said several times here that man should rule over the created realm as, God's, as, as if it were God's co-region on earth, uh, to subdue earth and to secure his role as, um, as a, a regent upon the earth under God's rule. It's intended that creation was meant to be a subserv- in subservience to him and that it was to be for the benefit and advantage of the man and his, and his family who was God's steward in that realm. Man was to apply then, by, by understanding as we read further here, we'll see that man will use his technological skill to cultivate that garden and to develop it and to um, cause, uh, using, using his ingenuity in the service of care and fit of fish and birds and animals and creeping things, and that he was used to use technology in cultivating that garden. And after the fall, they, they used technology to sew, sew together raw materials for fig leaves to make the first textiles. Cain was evidently a very successful tiller of the ground because soon he would have a plentiful abundance of uh, vegetables and things that he'd uh, gained so that he might offer sacrifice, although it was a improper, um, it was done with improper motives. Uh, we'll see that this was all beginning to show us that God intended his creation to be refined and to be developed and cultivated through uh, a, a wise stewardship of the resources God had given to the man. And by doing that, we call it technology. If you want a good working definition for technology, technology is just the reordering of raw materials using the God-given intelligence and God-given raw materials together to create and to do things that were before unable to be done. So technology is really a broader idea than just digital devices sitting in your pocket tonight. It's taking God's what God has given to us in his created realm and restructuring it and reordering it and exploring it and subduing it and dominating it to bring it into the service of human flourishing and to make it useful to man. And when you think about technology from that standpoint, as, if, as we heard from uh, Chalice there, he was saying that Christians have always seen that as their role when it comes to technology, that from this time there was roads put down in the Roman, Roman Empire, we were trying to find ways to exploit the transportation benefits of that to carry the gospel into the uttermost regions of the earth. We were trying to see how the printing press could be useful in the publication of Bibles and the dissemination of God's word into the reaches of the unknowns. And, that, that, and that was, that's part of our, our, our creation mandate. We see that even rooted here in this passage, that, um, that the garden was really just a beginning to a greater, a greater desire of God that we would refine his, congreg- his, his creation and to technologically advance it. Uh, Reinke, in his book, um, 12 Ways Your Phone's Changing You, says this. He says the garden was, was really only a beginning. You know, the, glo- the, the, the goal was a globe of technological advancement, leading to a creation so refined that, as we read in the books of, book of Revelation, that the city streets will be paved with crystal gold. So creation, a creation so radiant, so luminescent, that we can hardly imagine what it will look like in the end. So when Adam and Eve awoke and walked in the garden, an unseen, much larger plan was also set in motion. The untilled garden would become a glorious city. 
So God's plan wasn't that the creation would remain in its raw and natural state, that he intended that human beings would, would use the skill and the, and the materials that he provided and develop them and create, create technology. God intended technology to refine his, his, his creation. He made man-made tools for this purpose, tools of stone and copper and iron, and eventually would make silicon chips and uh, retina devices and other camera equipment and other things that would be packaged into smaller and smaller fo- footprints and made into uh, amazing, just amazing devices that we get to carry around with us every day. Agriculturally, we developed through shovels and sickles and plows. So technology was being used to fulfill the command of God in Genesis 1, to subdue the creation for human flourishing. So technology is not a bad thing in and of itself. Technology serves the one who wields it, the one who's using it. It, Technology really is an extension of who we are as people. In fact, it would be wrong for us to say that technology is inherently evil. It's really not. It's all in the person wielding the, the technology. It's the heart of the one behind the technology that is to be um, um, inspected. So um, technology mitigates but does not alter the effects of the fall. You'll notice pretty quickly into Genesis, in fact, by, by Genesis chapter 3, we've already seen the world is plunged into this, um, into this fallen state where now the creation doesn't operate in the same sense in which it was meant to be. And now man is um, depraved. His heart is now consu- considering evil thoughts, and his and, and and that which God had intended to be perfectly uh, uh, perfect um, is now being corrupted. And because of that, technology um, became even more useful. If you think about it, um, one of the, what's one of the results of the curse? It was that uh, what were some of the results of the curse that we read about in Genesis chapter two and uh, Genesis chapter three? Pardon me. Some things that took place. Work is difficult now. Work is Thorns and work is difficult by the sweat of your brow. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so you know, work became difficult. Childbearing was uh, no longer uh, easy. I assume it would have been easy beforehand. I don't know, but <laughs> not personally. I wouldn't have firsthand knowledge of that. But uh, uh, I would just say, I would say it was definitely post fall. It um, it was clear that uh, things were going to be much different. Um, there was a need for clothing now to cover the nakedness of body of your body uh, for shame. And uh, so now, after the fall, in this post-fall world, you'll see technology take, starts to take a different role. It becomes something of a way to mitigate the effects of the fall. That is to say, while the fall produced pain and weeds and corruption and, and this perfect creation, technology gave us fabrics, textiles to cover our nakedness. It eventually would give us epidurals to, to uh, mitigate the pain of childbearing. Uh, it would give us Roundup to fight off the weeds of, of the garden. And these technologies exist today as a way to remind us that the, fall still, or the, the curse is still in place and that we are still sinfully alienated from God. Though technology is capable of doing some of these amazing things, some people begin to think that we can put a lot of hope in technology that eventually it will remove all the adverse conditions of the fall. And there's this, over, there's this um, overconfidence and maybe uh, misplaced, uh, obviously misplaced um, um, uh, celebration of technology and that it will eventually remedy all of mankind's problems. Um, technology, uh, we, we see technology further, 
furthers the depraved will of man in Genesis chapter 11. We'll talk more about that. I'm going to forward to... I had meant to read off the screen, but we'll that'll be okay. All right, here. Well, the Internet's quite a challenge. I forgot about I forgot if he had one more video of him. But anyway, as, the, as man's being cast out, there is a... Um, obviously, the world is different. The need for technology is... Uh, is going to become more pronounced. We'll see uh, the invention of militaries, the invention of music. We see invention of all sorts of things. These technology things, these technological advancements start to appear in the pages of our scripture before our eyes. So we see that it's, uh, it's not something that we should be surprised by. And for time's sake, I'm going to skip past that second video. So. Then we get to Genesis chapter 11. And here we see in Genesis chapter 11... Mankind, uh, fallen mankind, ha- after a after a worldwide flood has scrubbed the earth clean, another <laughs> another rebellion is, uh, takes place where man gathers together and sets himself up to in, a, in an act of self will against God. We see the construction of an entire city devoted to the consolidation of power and control of the entirety of the human race. In Genesis, Genesis chapter eleven, uh, we read here in verse three. It says, uh, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used bricks for stone and they used tar for mortar. So notice they're employing these, these are God's created items that they're using to mount a, a wall of defense or a tower of defense against God. Uh, they're using God's own things, the things they should have been stewarding for his glory. And they're using them in opposition to him. And they used tar for mortar. Verse 4, they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heavens, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of the men had built. I love that. God has to condescend to the greatest achievements of man. He's got to come down to have a, to have a look at it. Verse uh, 6, the Lord said, Behold, there are one people. And they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So this, you get the idea. The, the, the heart of man has become so enshrouded in his own pride, in his own achievement, in his own ability to take these things and to create these amazing works of technological uh, prowess and create and this is a this is a heart that is filled with pride is is given to this and, and so much so that they have felt they have no more need for god in fact they'd like to throw off his his power they'd like to erase his name from their memory and create a name for themselves instead i think today even today technology still does this we live in kind of a technological babble where there's a consolidation of all kinds of digital information about us digital power uh, technological power surveillance, weaponry, commerce, all of that gets placed under the immediate control of wicked men. I think the, the church will face in the future, I think, a, a growing challenge to try to um, be able to operate in this world of technology without having to deal with the, the powerful influence of wicked men who hold technological reign. Um, so we are living in that same kind of mentality. Don't think that this is a obscure that's an obscure uh, occurrence in scripture it's going these things sorts of sort of uh, play play themselves out over and over again in human history but technology uh, was not that's not the end of the story of course Um, 
God intended technology to refine his creation. We've seen that. We've also seen that technology mitigates the results of the fall. Uh, And because of that, depraved men seize upon the opportunities technology gives us to use them for their own wicked ends, their own wicked purposes. I'm speaking about wicked men in the third person, but you know that that's all of our hearts. You know, we're all, we're all wicked in our hearts, depraved, deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17.9 says that. Uh, we have found, as we read through Genesis, we see, start to see God, that uh, technology was useful in creating musical instruments and the ability to use those instruments in the praise and worship of God. So we see, we see godly men using technology for godly ends, and we see wicked men using technology for wicked ends. Um, technology prolongs life and rehabilitates our infirmities. Don't you, aren't you glad that when you get sick and you get hurt and you have to go to the hospital, you have to go see a doctor, that you can go in there and you know that uh, you're going to be able to have an x-ray or you're going to be able to have, if you have to lose a limb, you have the ability to have pro- these really, really amazing prosthetics that are just life-altering, changing, just, traumatic, uh, just amazing dramatic changes that can be done. Uh, technology prolongs life and rehabilitates infirmities in ways that are just would have been miraculous to think of before. Um, tech, uh, technology even uses was used to kill the author of life. That's an interesting thought. That man had, by the time we reached the New Testament, had conceived of and con- had contrived such a way to to kill a human being using very interesting um, scientific means and ways to prolong the the experience of suffering and make it as as much of a uh, a, a horrible death as possibly could be imagined. This is is what's what's capable for men to do with their use of technology. We we just want to kind of take in the breadth of that in this quick span of a short history of technology, a short theology of technology. So it's easy for us to misperceive the role of technology. As you can see, people have used it for good. People have used it for evil. And because technology seems to have this power to diminish the power of sin's curse in the world, it can almost seem to us like a surrogate savior and may actually come to be viewed as the solution to all of mankind's problems. And I, I really think that this is where we're at today. We tend to see our devices as ways to escape um, loneliness, escape rejection, to escape the, the pressures of life. We kind of delve into this digital world and we seek um, affirmation from social media. We're looking for all the things we would, would have and should have sought out from God. We're seeking them in other ways and other places using technological means. Um, new advancements never cease to amaze us. We have become to th- began to think that technology is virtually limitless, omnipotent, as it were. It inspires hope in us that we may be able to overcome the limitations of our existence. After all, we're not limited by space anymore. That was kind of a, that's a necessary condition of your mortality. You can't be in two places at once without defying the law of physics. But now we can cross miles, thousands of miles. We can span the globe and see each other in real time through video tech, conferencing technology. And space is not really a concern anymore. It's, it seems like that's a, that physical limitation has been almost completely removed. So it's a non-factor in our, in our existence anymore. We're aware of events that happen around the world within seconds of their taking place. So it's almost like we can have this illusion of omnipresence. You feel like we, have, we can... We can go places where we've never been before through the use of satellites and GPS technology. We're not fearful of unknown things. We have 
uh, you know, the ability to explore these things without fear. Did you know the GPS on your phone is 30 times more powerful than the processing, 30 times more processing speed? Pardon me, 30,000 times more processing speed than the onboard navigational computer that landed on uh, uh, the surface of the moon, Apollo 11? I mean, that's in your pocket, and that's amazing. And because of that, we are, don't fear things like we used to. We aren't caused to pause and consider our limitations as much. We're less limited by space, but we're also less limited by time. We have access to information and products without having to need to wait. We have almost anything that our hearts could want in instant gratification. Everything past, present, and future is splayed before us in a vast expanse. The collective consciousness of, the, of all of humanity is available to you at your fingertips or voice command. Anything you could ever want to know is available to you at a, at a in minute's reach. We become convinced that we are the most enlightened and informed generation to have ever existed and because we have the benefit of omniscience in our hands with, with, a, with a mobile phone. We seem less limited by space and less limited by time, but we also feel less limited by matter. We can inhabit these two universes simultaneously. One, one real, the one which we sit and we, li- we live in, breathe in, work in, but we can also li- live in this this dimension of, virtual, of virtuality, a virtual universe, as it were. And we project ourselves into that alternate universe. And, and in that universe, we can, we can shape our own identity. We can control how others perceive us. We can, we can create relationships, uh, at least simulated relationships. We can simulate achievements and otherwise become multidimensional beings. Sounds like something that put us almost in the point of view where we begin to think of ourselves almost godlike in that sense. Is it any wonder why people worship their smartphones? It's deceived us into believing that we're like God in the sense that, in the sense that only God is like God. <laughs> These abilities to transcend time, space, and matter and to be able to inhabit multiple realms simultaneously and to have no limitations, to be completely independent and self-governing and to have no accountability to anyone, and to have no consciousness of God in, in his operations in those realms. That's all the prerogatives of divinity, and we have thought those things for ourselves. We worship these digital idols because they give us the illusion of immortality. This is what, they, this is what it is to draw. I think, I think that's what the draw is to uh, video games in some ways, why people foolishly, people are building their entire lives and personas in this shifting sand, literally shifting silica on these chips that are moving information and data around. Um, Every circuit of those bewitching little devices that you carry in your pocket is made from sand, and we're building our lives upon it. How uh, um, Reinke says in his book that uh, he likens those phones in our pockets to the household gods of carved wood and stone. And it's interesting, he says this, The household gods of carved stone and wood and the handheld idols of silver and gold, common in the ancient world, were not just tools. These idols were more like our technologies. They were were like divine oracles of knowledge and prosperity used by worshipers in an attempt to control and manipulate the events of their lives for personal benefit. The figurine and the iPhone appeal to the same fetish. Isn't that interesting to make that comparison, to see how we use the iPhones to manipulate our lives, to structure our lives, to get for ourselves the things which we desire, 
to command our lives in such a way that like like um as if as if it was a god of some kind we are um we are displaced from the world where God is when we enter those realms. We voluntarily choose to live in a world where we're not subject to the curse of sin. Or at least we think it, we're not. It's difficult relationships with sinners. We can retreat from those difficult, complex people in our lives. We don't have to deal with them. We can just kind of go into our own little world where we can zone out and kind of isolate. Even though we try to go on social media, we really isolate by creating these worlds where all of our friends are basically like us. We don't have to have relationships with anybody who doesn't think like us or act like us, dress like us, or have the same values as us. We can really homogenize our friend groups really well on social media. Totally not like the church where you have to interact with people of all different varieties, backgrounds, and come from different places and get challenged in things and have those difficult conversations that we all love to have with each other. See, it, it, these things change our hearts, and they actually, I believe it warps us as human beings. It changes who we are and who God intended us to be. Um, we can be indifferent to the real suffering around us by simply doing hashtag activism. Just simply show support for a cause and make a big uh, public production and display of that, and that's sufficient for you to really identify with real oppression and to uh, make people see you're sympathetic people with suffering and cause and have those um illusions or um having the, the facade of of uh, sensitivity uh, we can avoid the real and impending fact that the that christ is returning he's coming again and that there's a real eternity to live in this life for that the that the life we live now makes an impact and has an outcome that will be seen in eternity we are drawn into the temporal and the momentary and the fleeting and the, 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 the presence of the moment without thinking about the grander scope of eternity and, and that we'll live somewhere forever. So I think that there's a real challenge here when we, we see this technology as, as causing us to reevaluate some real sensitive areas, really important areas of our lives that, uh, and causing us to reevaluate who we are as human beings, as God would have us to be. I... Uh, found that uh, it's friendships on social media are totally different than friendships in real life. Have you noticed that? Obviously, it's different. We tried this whole experiment for a year, you know, trying to have online relationships, online church, and the quarantine kind of forced us into that sort of mode mindset, working from home remotely and other things. Having friends outside of Facebook, though, or outside of, outside of social media is, is, uh, is much different. But if you try to have the same principles that you would have on social media in real life, you know what would happen? It'd be quite, quite comical, actually. I read this article from some man. Uh, it was really humorous and found it quite interesting and funny. He said, I'm trying to make friends outside of Facebook while applying the same principles. Therefore, every day I walk down the street and I tell the passersby what I've eaten that day <laughs> and how I feel right at that moment and what I did the night before. I, and I tell them what I'll do with what I, what I plan to do later and with whom. I even uh, give them pictures of my family that they didn't ask for. And I, I, ask, I show them pictures of my dog and of, of me gardening. I show them taking pictures of, I show them pictures that I, I give them pictures of me taking things apart in the garage, watering the lawn, standing on the front, standing in front of landmarks, driving around town, having lunch, and doing what anybody and everybody else does every day. I also sneak up behind them and listen in on their conversations. 
and I give them a thumbs up when I like what they said. And it works, just like Facebook. I already have four people following me. (laughs) Two police officers, a private investigator, and a psychiatrist. But they're all following me. So the fact is that we get to live in this other world that that doesn't abide by the same principles and rules that God sets down for relationships. We get to kind of create these own new arbitrary rules, and, and then we're okay with that. We think that that's normal and natural. And I think that can, that's detrimental to us when we start to think about our, our, our obligations from Scripture towards another person. We become very indifferent about the way we carry about our relationships. Um, you know we check our smartphones every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives. Every four or four or five minutes, on average, you're going to pick up your device and have a look at it just to see if it's been pinged or someone's sent a message or an email's arrived. Every five minutes, you're on an automatic disruption, automatic attention, something attention's going to break, and you're going to change your, your uh, you're going to break away from what you're doing. So 54% of Christians report having to check their smartphones within minutes of waking. Every time you wake up, if you're like me, and I struggle with this, sleeping next to your smartphone in the morning, roll out of bed, the first thing you do and you crack the eyes open is you're reaching for that smartphone. It's an it's a interesting situation we find ourselves in. And, and then when you ask these same group of Christians uh, whether they're more likely to check email and social media before their spiritual disciplines in the morning, 73% of them tell you that they check their smartphone and social media and email before devotions to Christ in the morning. So, it is becoming a it's becoming a priority and it's kind of it's definitely encroaching into our lives in ways that we need to be very careful about. So every technological innovation is a new invitation. Every technological innovation is an invitation for a renewed contemplation of God's people. In other words, these new trends in our life should cause us to stop for a moment and reevaluate the priorities we're placing on things, how we are conducting ourselves in these relationships we're caring about, how much control and how much, how much, uh, of our, how much of our, uh, our distractions are, are causing us to be in a, unable to carry about real devotion to Christ. And it's, it's becoming some serious, there's some serious work to be done in this area. So um, I think that... Uh, Next week, I want to discuss more of you, with, with you about that as we start talking about staring into the black mirror. What happens when you begin to completely become engrossed in your digital device? How many of you have ever walked into a room? Maybe I, I pick on teenagers a lot because I worked with teenagers for a, a long time. And I've always noticed teenagers tend to come in, some, many of them do, come in with their faces glued to their screen. And that device is up in front of them. It's almost like they're, they're telling you, they're giving you a message in that. And adults do this too, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, see, my teenagers are leaving. That's not what I was trying to do, guys. <laughs> I wasn't trying to do that. Obviously, I don't think that's why they have to go. But just saying, it happens. We project this dismissiveness of everybody else. We put those things up and we don't want to have interactions. We're just sending a message, don't come near me. I'm not, I'm too busy for you. I have more important things to do. And those are, are, are problematic for us as Christians as we're trying to be engaging one another and involved in each other's lives and really seeking out each other's um, condition and circumstances with the Lord and trying to have true uh, one another's practiced in our Christian walk. So 
just to kind of this is first time together has hopefully tried to lay down a scope for uh, and a breadth for what can be potentially discussed in this class. Um, and I hope to explore more of these areas in more targeted ways in the next couple weeks. But just kind of span the field with you to let you know that um, your technology is probably affecting your life more than you realized before tonight. Um, you're, almost every aspect of your life, every relationship you have, every activity you participate in is probably having some being affected in some way through digital media or through technology and some of those ways and a vast I would even argue probably a vast majority of those ways are not healthy spiritually and you probably already have sensed that and that's why you're here tonight you know I struggle with this and I need some spiritual instruction and guidance and tools and equipping to to fight that battle successfully and I hope that in the weeks ahead that we'll be able to explore that together in more detail so thanks for being here tonight let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to kind of um, help us this week as we begin to give our our more full attention to these areas. And uh, thank you, Lord. We do give you praise and honor for the things that you have created. These are this is a, an amazing time to be alive. The um, the tools at which we get to interact with the the devices in our pockets are just incredible help helps to our daily life. They make things convenient and easy. In some, and in those ways, they are very—they're uh, like uh, tokens of your grace in some ways to us that allow us to mitigate the difficulties of life with a lot more ease and convenience. We want to give you praise for that and thank you for those wonderful things. But Lord, at the same time, we realize that while they can be a great blessing, they are also a tremendous. Um, temptation to us in some ways a lot of ways so lord i pray that we'd be mindful of these things and that as we uh, look at your word specifically with applications intended to help us uh, fight that battle and be on that front carefully and cautiously i pray that you give us the spirit and the and the, and the grace that's available through him to um, navigate those struggles to evaluate the condition of our heart what are we doing when we are resorting to these digital devices rather than um, spending time in prayer and time of devotion with you and uh, cultivating um, a spiritual walk that's pleasing to Christ. Um, these, are, these are things that often get sacrificed on the altar of technology. And um, Lord, pray that you'll help us as we look at this together. I know we'll be convicted, but we pray that you would help us not to be sullen and despondent, but that we would um, rejoice that there is hope and that you give us the ability to overcome these temptations with your help and with your aid. We pray this all in Jesus' name.